0: anything that you're trying to do, unless you're Elon Musk and you're taking going to Mars where no one has ever gone before and you don't have any blueprint in front of you that you can follow, whatever you're trying to do in your life, someone has done it before, whether it's writing a book, starting a podcast, starting a YouTube channel, uh, you want to go into real estate, someone has done that, you want to go into self-storage, anything, you want to open a franchisee, all of those things have been done before why really reinvent the wheel and do all the mistakes that others have made and you go through those and learn from them rather than you know just hire someone who's an expert at it and learn from their mistakes i'll never forget that day when i asked myself the question is this it is this
1: all there is to strive for in life that day i set out on a journey to find more Now I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. Today I've got Pancham Gupta with me. Pancham, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, John. How are you doing? Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, I am doing outstanding. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here and really looking forward to this conversation. So for those folks that don't know, Poncham is the co-founder of Miso's Capital real estate investment firm, as well as the host of the Gold Collar Investor and above all else, uh, a loving husband and father. So Poncham, I know you guys are always got your hands in all sorts of stuff working. So what do you guys have going on right now, even, even through the midst of COVID?
0: Right now, we are actually in the middle of closing a deal out in Wilmington, North Carolina. We have a closing in about two weeks as we record, when we record this. So yeah, that's what's going. And then we are also you know, looking for more deals and running our existing portfolio.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, and I know we were talking about a deal that you guys just did uh, in my neck of the woods, not too far from, from where I live here in North Carolina. I'm a little bit jealous about the terms you were able to negotiate. So <laughs> definitely <laughs> love to get into that. So, um, well, I, I really want to dig into the journey and that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show because I think your story is is so interesting and, and one so many people struggle with. And because- you know i think when you get to that point in your career when you're making good money when you're fairly secure for whatever you want to define as security but you know you feel secure because you're making a, a decent income and then kind of turning your back on that to going more the the contrarian path or, or the entrepreneurial side so uh i guess let's just start at the beginning can you kind of give us a, an idea of where things started and and how this journey to uh to Misos capital began
0: sure so i c- actually came to this country in 2003 i was born and brought up in india the idea was to get master's degree, which I graduated in 2005, and get some work experience here in the fintech industry, then go back home back. To India and start something on my own. I always had this entrepreneurial desire in my, in me that I want to start something on my own. And, uh, you know, in 2009, I actually sold pretty much everything in our apartment. We had nothing except a mattress uh, remaining to be, you know, sold and just uh, move away right from, from here. So, but we found out like my, me and my wife were expecting our first born, uh, first baby. And, uh, it, it was, uh, very difficult decision at the time, but we decided to stay here because it's very hard to move places when you're expecting, you know, forget countries. So we decided to stay here in 2011, you know, for many, many reasons, we decided to call this country our home and stay here for good. And that's when I actually started reading a lot of, you know, books and about investing and thinking about investing here, like on the side while I, I was working full time. And in 2000, so I read, many people have read this book. So purple book, the rich dad, poor dad, and the Cash Flow quadrant. I read that and, you know, my. My father back in India was also an, a real estate investor investing on the side. The so I saw him like you know while I was growing up that he was investing, but he was not. the The mindset in India was very different from what you have here. There it's you know buy low, sell high. There is no like cash flow or anything. So. When I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and Cash Flow Quadrant, it was a light bulb bulb that went off, and I started investing. So I bought two homes here where I live in New York. Before I bought my own house and started cash flowing, then I expanded my portfolio into five states and had smaller properties, single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, and slowly I realized that it's not really scalable. It became it was becoming very very difficult to kind of scale. I was I had a demanding job, and you know taking all these phone calls during work time was not scalable and um, started thinking that there has to be a better way and stumbled upon uh, syndications and started learning about that. And, you know, then started uh, Mises Capital along the way to kind of uh, get into multifamily. And since then I've sold all of my portfolio and uh, not all, actually, I still have three or four properties, but most of it is sold and have truly focused on multifamily at this point. And it's, you know, during all this journey, I was like very, um, it became very clear to me that I'm really passionate about this. It started as a hobby. It became a, you know, addiction in a good way at some point. And then it became a hobby, like a passion for me. And I was like spending a lot of time on my train rides at uh, you know weekends and nights, and you know even at a kids soccer game, I would have these big headphones listening to a different podcasts and not talking to anyone. Everyone thought I was a geek, uh, just standing on the side in the in the soccer games. I should have, you know, socialized, but I I actually didn't. And you know that's how I got into this, and I decided to quit my job at some point to kind of pursue this full time, even though I was making a really good salary in the in the fintech industry.
1: I mean that that's an amazing story and so what was so I know you kind of glossed over it a little bit so I want to dig in on it a little bit more so so you've come here you've got the masters degree and you're working and you're making a, a very strong salary you're working for a very large organization so you start dabbling within the real estate. So what was the mindset like and, and how did you start preparing yourself to think that, Hey, you know, maybe there could be a life outside of just working this corporate career forever, because I mean, you were, you know, a fin- an executive within FinTech, you know, I mean, that's a great area to be within the industry right now, or just in general around analytics. So how did you get to the point where you're like, Hey, I could actually step away from this and, and pursue something different?
0: It wasn't easy. Let me tell you that. But I'll, you know, I'll tell you my mindset and how it actually came about. So at some point in 2016, or so I decided that, you know, even though I love my I, I really liked my job, I would say I actually loved it. But I became so passionate about real estate and I saw the light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, this is something that I'm really passionate about. And along the, you know, from 2011 to 2016, many people started seeing what, you know, I was doing and they wanted to invest their capital with us and I did their capital and did do certain things. But I was like, you know what? A lot of these people don't know how to do certain things. I've Gain the skill set. And I really, really, I'm really passionate about this. And I want to spend time and energy full time to really dig into this and really help these people out and also pursue my passion at the same time. So that was the idea in 2016 and 2017. I decided that I would be quitting this job in two to three years, regardless of whatever happens, and I started building this uh, syndication business along the side. And, you know, I was getting uh, when I first discussed this idea with my wife and my family, they were very against it. My parents, my wife, everyone was like, why are you, uh, even thinking about this because you're making such a good salary. You, the benefits are so great. Uh, you know, medical benefits were amazing. We have zero out of pocket copays and all that. And, um, uh, I was like, you know what? Yeah, you guys are right. And I was getting in my own head. I was becoming my own enemy. And, you know, I couldn't really think straight. And I was like, I really need external help to help me go down this path. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong. And maybe I'm right and they're wrong. Uh, Who knows? So I actually hired a mindset coach to help me quit my job. And when I first came up with this idea, I went to my wife. I was like, hey, uh, you know, I actually decided to hire a coach to help me quit she's like, what, why did you hire a coach to help you not make money? Right? Like this is just go out and quit. You know, I'm, I'm like, no, that's not, it's not that easy. So I actually did hire a coach just to like one of uh, Tony Robbins program. If you guys know like Tony Robbins, like his uh, Trevor McGregor was the name of the coach. And I actually uh, hired him. And my first call with, with him was that, you know, I I'm hiring you to help me quit my job and get, myself uh, out of my own head. And he um, really helped me out. And uh, I quit in 2019. July 4th was actually my first day, which is the Independence Day without a W-2 job. So I was that's the journey. That's the mindset behind it. I didn't really have enough income. I know a lot of people have this question that, did you have enough income? to replace your uh, salary no i didn't i actually still don't because i was making a lot of money but did i have enough income to meet my expenses actually i didn't because i uh, uh, my goal was to really scale the business up but i saved a lot of money you know to survive to get through next 2 to 3 years so that you know if uh, if need be like i can dip into my savings and and do it that way
1: No, I mean that's that's tremendous, and I mean I think I love that story. I know I've heard that a few times around, uh, you know, hiring the coach to quit. But I just think that's such a great, (laughs) such a great story. I can only imagine, uh, yeah, the wife, your wife's reaction uh, when you when you had told her that. Um, So one of the things you touched on at the the end there was, um, and I think this is kind of the golden handcuffs that so many people run into is absolutely. As an entrepreneur, it's hard to make you know, I mean, (laughs) they make it look easy on TV and in podcasts and everything. But I mean, if you're making 200,000, 250,000, $300,000 a year as a, as a corporate employee, it takes a long time to be able to duplicate that from an entrepreneurial perspective. And so I think that's what holds up a lot of people is they're like, well, you know, I mean, even myself personally, you know, it's around like, Hey, well, I make X, you know, what, what's the opportunity cost if I don't continue to make that for, you know, whatever, at least a couple of years, you know, not, not, Perpetually into the future, but sometimes. So, how were you able to get your mind wrapped around, you know, giving up that? I wouldn't say free money, but you know, it would be easier to continue making that money versus diving in full force into into the into the syndication and the real estate business.
0: Yeah, no, it is. Uh, so, so your question is really like how you get your mind around like not making enough and still. Yeah. So you
1: so you were making you know X amount at your job, right? And so obviously the goal ultimately is to to cover your expenses and then and then in turn replace your income someday. Right. And so how were you able to walk away from that knowing, hey, you know, I'm walking away from this, but I'm going to be the delta to what I'm making today is you know is still pretty far.
0: Yeah. No. So my idea was that you know I actually saved enough so that I can get through two years, but at the same time this had this very strong conviction that i would make it happen right like i'm so passionate about this stuff Uh, you know just this is the old uh, saying right like you know when you go for the if you decide to do something and you're really, really can, like you have strong conviction, the universe will come together and make it happen for you, right? This is in the book, Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. So when I read that, and um, that was before I quit. So that was the conviction I had that, you know what, I'm going to, you know, at some point, not only make this Delta, but actually exceed that delta. And I'm not at that point, but I still have the same conviction that, you know, that would happen at some point, just keep doing what, what you are uh, passionate about and help many, many people along the way. And, you know, things will come, money will just follow. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely and I think that's what when you talked about the passion and the conviction, right that's what's really going to drive you to to those levels of success and get you there. and I mean the fact that you guys have been able to to take down so many properties you know just even in in the few years as competitive as the market is obviously is is a testament to, to what you guys are, are going to be able to achieve. so, You've quit your job, and so you're starting to build Misos Capital. So, so what was that process like? And I know you have a, I know you have a partner. So, so what was that like? Why did you choose to bring on a partner versus just trying to, you know, do it your own and and network? And what was the process of starting to build Misos Capital like?
0: Sure, yeah. So Misos Capital. So my partner, his name is Rajan. He he actually worked at the same place where I was working, and uh, he was building his. He was going through the same journey, but in a different place and different portfolio. And when we actually started talking back in 2013, 14, I know him since 2007. Um, you know, we whatever I mentioned, like he was thinking the same things, right? And my skill set versus his skill set was very, very complementary. Like, you know, I was really good at certain things and he was uh, good at, like, he could do those things, but he was not passionate about those things. And I was good at, uh, you know, he was good at certain things and I didn't want to do those things even though I could do it. So, we actually, when we kind of danced together for some time, we did a bunch of projects together. We did a flip and we did s- small projects. And then this idea of uh, creating this company, Misos Capital, came about because he was also getting approached from different people uh, about investing money. I was getting approached and we were thinking about going into syndications and, and we had worked together already and complementary skills. So that's how... We kind of joined our hands and started Misos Capital. And when we bought our very first building, we actually, you know, we were not 100% clear in our heads like who's going to do what. But over time, it has really you know, refined. And at this point, we are very clear who's doing what. And uh, so that's how Miso's Capital was born really to help high paid professionals to help them make their money work for them. And at the same time, get all the benefits of owning real estate that you would get. And um, yeah, so I think that that was the that's the story behind Miso's Capital.
1: Yeah. And so, as far as when you got into it, right, what would you say was maybe the hardest thing that you've had to overcome that maybe you didn't expect coming into the, into the apartment syndication
0: realm? The biggest thing was that, uh, like, I'll tell you, when we started Mises Capital, before we actually closed our first deal, being engineers, we had this habit of, you know, analysis paralysis, right? So, we were under contract on a 14 unit deal, a 12 unit deal, a 78 unit deal, and we couldn't close any of that. And sometimes we will look at deals and we were like, oh, this is overpriced. You know, so let's say in 2016, the things the going cap rate was 10%. <laughs> now it feels like a lot, a uh, very, very high number, but you know, 10% was the going cap rate, and we would look at a deal and it's a nine and a half cap. And we're like, ah, no man, this guy is charging, like this selling way too high, right? In the hindsight, we could have bought all of those deals and would do great. But because we were in this mindset, it was very hard. Uh, Like we we just couldn't, every single time we would buy a property or put an offer, sorry, not buy, put an offer. We would think we will get either outbid or we would like, you know what? No, this is too much. So we actually let go of so many opportunities because of this analytical or paralysis by analysis mindset and that was one of the biggest challenge that i think we had to overcome initially and we actually even for that we actually hired a both me and raj and we actually were sitting one day and discussing why is that we are not able to actually go under contract and actually close a deal And, um, and so, yeah, we actually hired a coach to even help us get through that mindset and, you know, help us with the process in the process. So yeah, I would say that was the biggest hurdle, like engineering background in some way. (laughs)
1: I mean, and that's a struggle for a lot of folks, right? Because especially if you're talking about folks that have, you know, been able to attain a certain level of success from a corporate perspective, e- there's some level of analytics that they're going through, you know, either in their career progression or their investment portfolio or whatever the case is, right? So I think that's a really common pitfall that people run into. So a, a theme that keeps coming up is is your willingness to hire coaches, right? In In, in multiple different aspects and avenues of your life. So, How did, how did, how did the mindset around hiring these coaches come around? Because again, being somebody that's attained a certain level of societal success, you know, there's a bit of ego or pride that's involved in that. So how were you able to kind of take a back seat to that and, you know, really bring in these experts instead of just, you know, like I've done before many times, just hard-headedly, you know, bang my head against the wall until, uh, you know, I probably fail versus succeed.
0: That's a million dollar question. I think that's one thing. If there's anything you have to take away from this, I would say it's this, right? That being engineers, so I, I think you're into sales, right, John? Yep. So uh, I actually, being engineer, you can just imagine that we have this certain kind of ego where you, you know, like we can figure anything out if we spend enough time on it. Like that's the catch, enough time on the problem, right? Yes. I could build a hundred million dollar portfolio and, you know, yeah, if you spend enough time and keep digging and it may, it may take me 20 years. So for me, the epiphany was like, again, I don't know which book actually really triggered that, but it was not about how, like whether you can do it or not. The question is how quickly can you do it? How you know how you know compressing the time frame is the biggest thing yes you can have a 100 million dollar portfolio in 80 years versus how can you get to if you do it in 5 years uh, versus 80 years there's a huge difference so that kind of mindset uh, it is very hard to come uh, like come around but if you really think about it anything that you're trying to do unless you're Elon Musk and you're taking going to Mars where no one has a- ever gone before and you don't have any blueprint in front of you that you can follow whatever you're trying to do in your life someone has done it before whether it's writing a book starting a podcast starting a YouTube channel uh, you want to go into real estate someone has done that you want to go into self storage Anything you want to open a franchisee? All of those things have been done before. Whether even if investing in the stock market, right? So why really reinvent the wheel and do all the mistakes that you are, uh, you know, that others have made, and you go through those and learn from them, rather than you know just hire someone who's an expert at it, and learn from their mistakes, and then you know just go about go and do your do your thing and compress the time frame. So that's the mindset that I actually got. And, you know, at, since then I've spent more than six figures on my own personal educations, which is m- combined from my kindergarten to my master's. If I combine all of that money, how much I paid for that, I have probably spent more money in my own education since then, you know, for, uh, I wanted to write a book. I had a coach. I, I started a podcast. I had a coach It's syndication. I have, we already discussed. I wanted to quit. I actually had a coach for that. So. All of those things, uh, yeah, you can think of that as an expense, but if you really think of it as an investment, it actually pays a lot of dividends. Uh, for all the things that I've done where I've paid more than six figures, it's come back multiple folds since then uh, in many different ways. So yeah, that's, that's the- That's such a
1: powerful point. And I, I appreciate the perspective of, like you said, looking at it as an investment versus a cost, right? Because I think and what what is important to me is the time freedom and you know the, the the ability to spend the time how I want and pursue the passions that I have and so I think that's what people really need to dig in on is what's the time frame right what's the, what's the offset that you're going to have to give up if you're wanting to do this on your own if you are going to try to just strong arm it and push through and. Kind of the thing that you did that I think is so powerful, and I'm actually reading a book right now. Uh, Ego is the enemy, and uh, if anybody hasn't read it, I highly recommend it. I'm I'm not even halfway through it; it's just tremendous. And so I think that's the point, especially being, you know, a high income earner or somebody that's reached some level of societal success. I think is so powerful to be able to take a backseat and say, hey, you know, I got to swallow my pride a little bit. There's somebody that's much better suited in understanding starting a podcast investing in real estate writing a book whatever the case is there's somebody that's done this better and and you know they've made all those mistakes so why don't I compensate them so that I can you know streamline this and ha- make it happen so much faster so I mean to your point I think that's such a important takeaway that hopefully the the audience can really dig into so yeah,
0: um, yeah there's an opportunity cost associated with the amount of time you're gonna spend so yeah you don't have you can put a Monetary value to it it's hard, but if you really think about it it's it's going to be more than what you were going to pay someone
1: hundred percent hundred percent so um so one thing I wanted to touch on was obviously syndication you're dealing with investors all the time, you're bringing on capital and in the space right now, it's just seeming seemingly flooded with a lot of new folks coming in being like, hey, I'm gonna raise capital on this deal. I'm gonna do this and that. You know, how can I build my funnel? How can I get investors into the funnel as fast as possible? And how can I get them invested in either my fund or or individual deals? Um and not even talking about the liability they're taking on from a legal perspective, but just, you know, just the, the actual uh, perspective of getting investors in the funnel. So one thing that you've talked about before, and I kind of want you to, to dig in a little bit more, is around how you started bringing investors on and, and feeling comfortable, because that's that, that can be uncomfortable asking friends, family for money, because you really have to start shifting your mindset from asking them from something, from being able to help them and empower them to, to get something more than they currently have. So how did, how did you start that process and, and how long did it take? Was it just to, you know, snap your fingers and all of a sudden, you know, everyone's throwing money at you or what was the process?
0: Yeah, no, I think you said something very important towards the end. You know, first of all, you have to shift your mindset from, asking, you're not really asking. You are actually presenting them with an opportunity which you have put together and it's their money. They have to see if that investment meets their goals. And if it does, they will come and invest with you. Yes, they have to know, like, and trust you. Uh, that's a prerequisite. But will we'll, I'll go back to like how we started, right? Like A lot of friends and family already knew what we were doing, and so we started with our friends and family. And when we had our very first deal, which we wanted to syndicate, we actually raised seven hundred eighty-one thousand dollars on that deal, and two hundred of that seven eighty-one actually was, you know, me and my partner. So we actually really raised five eighty-one, and. For that five eighty one thousand dollars, we actually approached our friends and family who had already told us that they will invest with us, right? And we since then bought and sold that particular investment, and they got, you know, they got their money back and much more than what we had told them. So they were very happy, and you know, then slowly they referred more people, and then they referred their friends, referred more people. So that's how it grew, and then also at my old workplace, the friends, uh, my ex-colleagues, they started seeing what I'm doing. And even after I quit, they actually knew exactly what I was doing. So that's how it grew. And and we actually have never, we have not really tried to sell people on, like ask for money. We actually always try to think from the investment opportunity point of view, that why is it John, like John, this investment opportunity Whatever goals you have, like, you know, what are your investing goals? So your goal one, two, and three, your three objectives are going to be met with this opportunity, right? Because it's going doing this, 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 right? So yeah. Assuming John, you already trust us. You also like us and, you know, all know like and trust is very important. This is a relationship business, right? Like any other business, but this is very, very important. People trusting you with your money. You have to have that. And once you have that, then it's really presenting them with the opportunities that fits their investment objectives. If you do that, you would not have any problem raising money. Yeah. Obviously we'll have to build your network, but yeah, that's, that's what my take is on that.
1: Well, and I just love, I mean, kind of, and then that's almost digging back into the analytical piece, right? So, Hey, you know, what's the, what's the roadblock? What's the challenge that the, that the investor, the prospect is facing. And then, Hey, you know, this is, this is, you know, one answer, this is answer number two, this is answer number three. And, you know, this is how this investment can actually help you and and help you reach those goals that you have. So, um, well, so you talk about that first deal you raised five hundred eighty one thousand from from outside investors, outside yourself and your partner. What's the feeling like taking on that much capital? I mean, so now you're you, now you're into five deals, right? One of the one of the things I kind of am concerned about in the industry. Uh, that I, I love your perspective on is I feel like people are a little bit willy nilly with taking on investor capital. You know, it's just like, well, Hey, especially if you're uh, from the, some of these co-sponsors that, you know, don't necessarily have their hands in the actual operations of the deal or whatever the case is. It's just like, Hey, well, you're, you're putting the faith in that operator for them to take that on. And, you know, this is, this is these individuals' livelihood. I mean, this is why they get up every day to go to work to, to to make that means. So what? So what is it like, and what's the feeling to take on that much investor capital and, you know, in, in these projects?
0: It is very daunting feeling initially when we raised that five eighty one thousand. Like we, the failure wasn't an option, and like what we actually told everyone was that, and that we did in our first deal and the second deal only, and we don't do it anymore but it's not scalable. And what we said that, you know, if we, like we personally guarantee that money, right. That, uh, that if, for whatever reason, like, you know, we end up losing this, we will, you will get your capital back. So, so that's what we did for our initial deals. And that's how we kind of, they trusted us and got, got the confidence and they knew like we were making good money in their in our W2 jobs. Right. And, All that, so, so, yeah, they trusted. And to answer your question, it's a nerve-wracking feeling actually, in in the beginning. And you know, slowly you get more and more comfortable. But every single deal, I, I think, even if we were doing our fiftieth deal, you still will have that kind of feeling because, like you said, it's a hard-on money, right? It's very hard. Um, uh, It's the the feeling that you have if you are, if you lose someone's money is is really terrible and at the end of the day like i would also say that all of these are risky investments right and everyone understands who who is investing we make sure they understand the risk and yes you can lose your capital by 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 investing in these uh, properties or any any investment right like so you can lose your capital yeah, they have to be aware of that. But at the end of the day, you don't want to be on the other side, the one who's losing that capital for them, right? So if you are that one, it's 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 a terrible feeling. Well,
1: and for anyone in the audience listening, I mean, to that level of integrity, I mean, to guarantee you know the return of the safe return of the investor capital on those deals, I mean, I think that just speaks to you know, the volume of, you know, how, how comfortable you guys are in making sure that, that you guys aren't going to lose that capital or you do whatever it takes to get it back for the investors. So I just think, I think that's tremendous. And I mean, you know, definitely, like you said, it's not scalable long-term, but the fact that at least on the initial deals, I mean, that just shows me how not only confident you are in yourself, but how how powerful, you know, taking on investor money is that you want to make sure that that you do right by them, you know, no matter, no matter the outcome. So mm-hmm. I want to dig in on, uh, on your avatar and your podcast a little bit. And I think this is something just in general, you know, regardless of if it's in the investing space, if it's in the entrepreneurship space and the small business space, one of the things I really like about you is you're very consistent with your message and it's very authentic, right? And you cuz I think that's again the challenge with some of these folks is if they're younger kids trying to pitch you know, older generations for, you know, putting their IRA money in or their 401k money in, or, you know, they're just looking for yield coming in from, from these different investments. It's kind of challenging. So how do you get around to building that avatar for yourself and building this podcast? I just think it's very consistent and authentic. And, And I guess, you know, is there anything you can kind of teach us and the audience around, you know, kind of building that avatar and making sure that, that, uh, that the message that you're, you're saying to your audience is authentic.
0: Sure. So I'll tell you like my, for the audience, my avatar is people who are making, uh, you know, who are high paid professionals, people like, you know, making, uh, who mainly work in tech industry, fangs of the world, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, those kind of companies. And, and they're really, they really like what they're doing for the most part. And they like, they just want diversification outside of wall street where they have a lot of capital invested. And uh, so that's my avatar. And actually when I started my podcast, I thought of that one person I'm talking to like, so, so John, that's you, that's you, right. I would picture that. Who am I talking to? And the guy is 35 years old. He works for Facebook. He's making $350,000 and he's invested, um, he's, Income of 350,000 is coming, two hundred thousand is coming from the stock options and 150 is coming from the base salary, right? And he has invested most of it in Facebook stock and then he has invested part of it to the in the in the stock market, uh, others other than Facebook. and then uh, now he's looking for other avenues right? And what would you talk to that person? What would that person want to listen from you? Let's say when I'm talking on the, on the mic, I actually think of that person. I'm actually talking to that one guy. So, uh, you know, so, so that's how I think about the avatar. So if you're really thinking about starting a podcast or thinking about any, anything where you need to have an avatar and you want to have your authentic message, is think of that person that who you're talking to and like one person do not go like wide yeah you can expand the horizon later but you have to talk to that one person it doesn't matter that one person uh, he could be a doctor like i know a bunch of people who are who have a uh you know, who talk to doctors, right? So it could be a dentist who's 45 years old who had this much student loan and he had this and this and this. And, you know, you really define the characteristics and talk to that one person. Then slowly it will just, uh, you know, it will be many people under that fold. And that's how you would, you know, create that authentic uh, message.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, you're, you're getting me to picture that, you know, that uh, that engineer with flip-flops and shorts on, you know, a t-shirt.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and have you movie social network uh, where, uh, you know, that guy is sitting outside just having, uh, putting the headphones on and the g- goggles on and just coding and that's it. So yeah, similar avatar.
1: <laughs> no, that that's awesome. I mean, and, and, and so descriptive. and And I mean, I, like you said, I mean, I think, you know, the audience and everybody probably was picturing exactly who you were talking about. And I mean, it was very direct very honed in on, you know, age range, what their, what their perspectives is, what, what their desires are. And the fact that you've came from that background yourself, you know, that knowing them and understanding them obviously is a good way. Cause you can say, okay, well, this is how I felt, you know, this is what I remember. And I think that's, when you're when you're looking to build that avatar, I think the authenticity comes through so much better when you've lived something of that. Of course, you don't have to live every single perspective, and of course, working for Facebook would be different than working for Google, working for Amazon, whatever the case is, right? You know, or fintech, w- whatever it is. But at least you have something, some commonality that you can bring out and say, "Hey, you know, I, I remember this feeling, and I remember being t- so tied to this one stock." Or you know, if Facebook, for whatever reason, you know, the stock goes down, or Amazon, or whatever the case is, right? Your your net worth. And your your uh, you know your means kind of you know goes down substantially. And so you want to be able to protect that. So I just I love the fact that it was so direct and you were so descriptive within that for that particular avatar. So well, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So so I know you've gone primarily down the real estate path, but what is is there anything that sticks out there that may be the most contrarian or off-the-beaten path investment that you've made in your career?
0: Yeah, I've actually Invested in a crypto fund. I've invested in a resort property internationally. Yeah, the crypto fund, I would say, would be a completely speculative investment that I've made. Uh, On the contrary, it was not a cash flow based investment in any way, but yeah, very contrarian.
1: Well, hopefully Elon Musk starts tweeting about it, right? Because doggy Coin is going crazy. So I know, you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doggy. And you just saw Tesla pick up some 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 Bitcoin. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm I'm super interested and intrigued how Bitcoin kind of plays out. A lot of these corporations, to your point, I mean, a lot of people are kind of making fun of MicroStrategy and some of these other firms that have picked up so much Bitcoin. They were saying you know, it's more like a Bitcoin holding company with, you know, first of all, and then a software company. Second of all, so who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I actually- I mean, I really
0: do believe in part, like I, I, being a programmer and also from technical background, I do believe in crypto quite a bit. Uh, especially, I mean, that's a whole another topic we can chat some other day if you want. But yeah, the like I do believe in Bitcoin uh, in general, uh, the way it is, and I do invest in crypto as well. So.
1: I mean, and especially nowadays, you know, when you talk about the, you know, the printing press that the Fed is running, I think it's 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 a good idea uh to I've got a little bit of crypto, but not, you know, not a huge holdings, but I've got a little bit of crypto. But I think it's a good idea just to at least have a finger on the pulse of the market because you know, gold, silver, crypto, you know, you just want to be careful with uh, all this printing that the Fed's doing, right. And potentially devaluing the dollar. Well, they, you know, whatever, we'll leave that for another day. (laughs) So, so I know we talked about investing a ton, but what's your favorite activity to do outside of investing your business with friends and family?
0: So a few things I would say, I love skiing, even though this year I've not gone like uh, that much because of COVID and my kids. And, but I actually want to kind of become a better skier. Uh, I've been taking some lessons and some, and learning that with my son who's, who's, uh, who's nine. So, so that's one. And second, uh, I really like, uh, you know, uh, running like these, running biking and uh, these two things. So I I try to do that uh, outside of my, yeah, uh, real estate stuff
1: very fun active active stuff with the family so that that that's super cool um and then what what does offer you the most fulfillment in life
0: most fulfillment is like couple of things like number 1 is like really giving whether it's giving your personal time and really educating people through the podcast or different channels uh, basically really having that impact that you can make yesterday i was having a call with an investor and after the call he said oh wow like he never knew this. And, you know, he was very happy to know about those things. So those kind of moments I live for those. And it's, it's amazing to kind of give um, that, that I would say, and then in general, just becoming a better person overall, whether it being a better husband, better, better father, better son, better, you know, any, like making the community around myself better. That's, that's what I, that gives me the most fulfillment overall. Well, oh, man.
1: I mean, if if the audience can take one thing away, hopefully they can take a little piece of your mindset because I just think it's it's gold, and I just think the fact you know what you've been able to accomplish in in many different avenues is is very impressive. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, I really I've been really thankful for you to join me on this conversation, Ponchum. What's what's the best way the audience can get a hold of you out there?
0: Sure, they can reach me. They can email me at p at thegoldcollarinvestor.com. That's the name of my podcast. And if they want really my top six reasons on how they can, um, you know, why they should diversify outside of Wall Street and also the alternatives. And then that's not just related to real estate. There are a lot of things in there. If you want that, do do, you can get a free report on that. It's uh, thegoldcollarinvestor.com forward slash download. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Well, no, this has been an outstanding conversation. So looking forward to, to the further properties that you take down, uh, potentially down in my neck of the woods here in North Carolina. Um, sure. And uh, best of luck through through the rest of uh, of your investing career.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, John, for having me. It's been Absolutely.
1: fun. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.